What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter so come through and big thanks to produce row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another volume of I Dig Records, a Dan Cable Presents podcast coming at you once again. If you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national 
and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast in just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Cannot stress the importance of those reviews enough and appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from. The podcast is available on Spotify and I've also been dropping monthly playlists there every first of the month as well as a bunch of other playlists. So the link for that Spotify profile will be in the episode notes along with the links for the Dan Cable Presents mugs and t-shirts. And for my guest host for this week's edition of I Dig Records is Chris Frank, a.k.a. Frank Irwin, the band leader for the Frank Irwin Quintet. This dude is a uh, a good friend of mine and um, one of my favorite musicians in the Portland, Oregon area and... Uh, over the last four years or so, I guess we've had the opportunity to spend a lot of a lot of time together, mostly since we started playing hockey together. And he's uh, he's been on the podcast a couple times in the past on regular Dan Cable Presents episodes, which are coming at you every Friday. And if you're new to the programming, is usually me in conversation with an artist or band from all musical genres. So Frank Irwin, the man is back. And uh, always enjoy talking to this dude on the mic. Usually this series is co-hosted by my cousin, Bobby. But uh, I've been giving him some time to settle into his his new digs in there in L.A. But I'm sure towards the end of the year, maybe the beginning of the year, we'll... Uh, we'll get back at it. But it's been fun having some, some guest hosts of this thing. The previous volume I did with my girlfriend Ruby and we did her favorite album from the national called high violet. So that was the, uh, the previous volume of this thing, which was maybe, I don't know, a few weeks back. Cause I ended up just dropping a, an additional episode of Dan cable presents the last Wednesday that this was supposed to come out. But typically I dig records coming at you every other Wednesday and uh, if you live in the Portland, Oregon area, I'm DJing at Produce Row Cafe on November 17th. That is a week from today. If you're listening on release day, I'll be there 6 to 8 p.m. spinning the digital jams for the uh, the dinner service over there. So come hang out on the covered heated patio and uh, listen to me curate a night of music over there. And uh, definitely keep up with uh, the Frank Irwin Quintet. There's going to be a new record dropping in the spring that we briefly touch upon. And we'll also play the uh, the episode out with a Frank Irwin Quintet jam at the end there. So, uh, yeah, this was a super fun one to record with this dude. It's an extra buttered volume of I dig records and it was just fun to get to hear Chris's enthusiasm that he has for this record that he, uh, he put up for this episode, which is from Funkadelic, the 1971 release America eats its young killer album cover on this one. Got to see Chris Frank's edition of it in the flesh when I went over to his place to to record this thing. Also, he wanted me to mention that there is this live concert that we referred to a few times 
during this episode, which he thought was from 1974, but uh, it looks like it's it's actually 76 when this one was uh, recorded. So we talk about that in the conversation and uh, and much more in this volume of I Dig Records. So we will we will get right into things. If you dig Funkadelic and this style of music, I would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to last week's conversation with Kelly Finnegan from Monophonics, which is a uh, psychedelic soul band from the San Francisco area. That was a, a great conversation that I had with Kelly out at Treefort a couple months back. And uh, if you dig that, you know, go back, listen to more, and stay tuned for more fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And with that, we are going to get into volume 28 of I Dig Records. I just want everybody to know that I Dig Records. I Dig Records, bro. I Dig Records, bro. All right, Chris Frank, you ready to uh, you ready to get weird with this Funkadelic record that you have uh, brought in? brought to the table here absolutely <laughs> absolutely i'm uh i'm excited to to chat about this one because my knowledge of funkadelic and parliament is is pretty limited i would say so i feel like this is going to be enlarge my education and uh in picking this america eats its young record from funkadelic you have uh you've probably encouraged me to listen to more funkadelic than I ever have. So I I I've been going pretty heavy on nice. it since we decided that this was the the record that we would do, but I think in large I asked you I thought you would be a cool guest host of the I Dig Records series just because of uh the music that you compose. I feel like gets weird at times and and it it definitely feels theatrical at times and and I know from from talking to you in the past you know that's uh that's what you enjoy you like to you like to get weird with it you like to you you enjoy like cinematic like theater esque mm-hmm. things so uh so yeah man that's why that's why you're here guest hosting this oh, thanks uh, for having me, this man. volume of i dig records and I'm excited yeah for sure so uh, I am. Uh, I'm kind of, <laughs> kind of. I'm not shocked, but I am surprised that that this is your first real foray into P funk, because and I was listening back to I Dig Records from the Fly Low. I think it was 16 or something a few, a uh, couple months back, and like George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic are. I mean, if you go through hip hop samples, I mean it's probably a, a third of. <laughs> well, probably not less than that, but quite a big chunk. Um, I mean, they've been sampled hundreds and hundreds of times, I think, uh, like 600-something times. Ice Cube and um, all the doggy style, pretty much, like that Snoop Dogg stuff and the West Coast stuff is uh, Parliament Funkadelic. Absolutely. And that's how a lot of people came to it, I think, or at least a lot of uh, friends that I know, like my little brother and stuff, because he, my little brother used to do like a soul uh, radio show, and, and he was always digging into like samples from hip-hop and tracking down the original records and then playing those and... and um, and it's just all over that, all yeah. over hip hop. I'm definitely, you know, I'm aware of the presence of of George Clinton 
parliament funkadelic like i understand their relevance to you know like the conversation it's just never been anything that i have uh have just done the deep dive on really i mean i like i remember as you know as maybe my my taste for music um evolved when i moved to portland and really like started getting heavy into other genres of music and uh kind of discovering a love for for funk music and and jazz and fusion and stuff it's like you always see maggie brain at the record store it's like a constant and so even that is is iconic to me in some way without having much knowledge and uh i actually listened to quite a bit of maggie brain today as well and uh that's that's such a killer record but i'm i'm stoked that you you picked this one because this is definitely like america eats its young is not one that i hear about very often no last night i was looking through some some press and you know like wiki articles and stuff about it and it's i think not regarded very highly in their catalog um there were a couple quotes from reviews like this is the first or worst funkadelic record of the 70s stuff like that um and i wholeheartedly disagree with that take like there's no there's no hits on this record right like you don't have um flashlight songs like flashlight or right. even maggot brain which is like uh, a rock guitar uh legendary rock guitar song um and you don't have like up for the downstroke or mothership connection like looking at uh, mothership connection here this dope like <laughs> hologram cover um it's got you know p funk wants to get fucked funked up uh handcuffs is a great ta- song give up the funk tear the roof off the sucker right those are the kind of anthems and america eats his young doesn't have any like classic p funk on it um at all like they you know i was showing you that video from 74 um and that was like the worldwide tour or whatever the hell they called it um the p-funk earth tour um and they didn't play a single song off this record on that tour right and it was only two years after this record came out right and it so i think some of it it's kind of eclectic because some of it is um like rehashings of of old parliament songs so uh p-funk started out as this band called the parliaments I think they were in Detroit. I don't. I don't remember exactly, um, but it was a, like a duop band, you know. Um, you know, it was George and like three other singers doing right, like right. harmonies and stuff. Um, so they redid like uh, "That's My Girl." It's towards the end of the record that you were listening to just a minute ago. That's like a redoing of one of their old tunes. So it's got like just some bric-a-brac on it. Um, it's it, like Maga Brain, right? Is concise. It's like forty four minutes or something like that and it's weird and it's experimental this one's got like a little of this little of that uh very very cool yeah and it's not available on apple music oh really yeah it doesn't surprise me so it's on spotify but not on Hmm. on apple music but what was uh what was your exposure to this to this band uh, or, or the whole, you know, P Funk <laughs> family. Like, uh, are you familiar with a with a movie called PCU? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So in PCU, Jeremy right? Piven. The whole like, yeah, Jeremy yeah. Piven's in there, yeah. and uh, David Spade. Right. Right. Great movie. I used to watch it all the time in high school. I thought Absolutely. that's what college was going to be like. <laughs> not, not yeah, true. we all thought life was going to be like a movie. 
but uh, it turns out it's not. It doesn't no, really shake not that at all. way. It doesn't. But uh, so in that movie, right, the whole thing is they need to save the pit, right, which is the, like their frat house or whatever, their dirtbag frat house. And so they need to throw an epic party to raise all this money. And uh, like someone runs into the broken down P-Funk oh, bus. Oh, shit. Is it the let me clear my throat situation? No, no, okay. no, 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 no. But the, someone's like out. So what's his name? Uh, God, I don't remember the guy's name. But played by um, the dude from Swingers. Um, not right. Vince Vaughn, but the other guy. Oh, uh, John Favreau? Yeah, about yeah, 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 John, yeah, John Favreau, who, yeah, directed The Mandalorian, right? And is he's, now, like, he's, yeah. the king. Favreau's, yeah, Favreau's great. Uh, Mandalorian, also, like, if you haven't watched it, it's the best thing, uh, best Star Wars piece that I've seen, I think. I loved it. Love everything uh, about it, the music, the never, vibe. I've never seen it, but I hear great things about it across the board <sighs> from people that don't even really even give a shit about no. about Star Wars. So No, it's, a, it's just a perfect show. Um but anyway, John Favreau, like his character is going to this show in Boston or whatever for, uh, for the band Frog and Toad or Friends um, with some other, you know, dumbass from his frat or whatever. And like that's the scene, right, where, you know, you don't wear the shirt or the band you're going to see, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this, Gutter, but there actually was music recorded before 1989. What is this? You're going to wear this to the show. You're going to wear the shirt of the band you're going to go see. Don't be that guy. But anyway, they get stoned. Uh, he sees the meets the woman on the street who asks him to blow her where the Pampers is. Right? There's all just great jokes in there, um, and he ends up running into to George Clinton's tour bus that's broken down. So he gets on board. They give him a lift back to school, and they're like, "Oh, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna throw this party." Um, and George Clinton plays right, and he plays two songs. He plays "Flashlight" and he plays "Erotic City" by Prince, which is one of my favorite uh, P Funk songs. I don't even know where to find that version. But, um, yeah, the Erotic City, George Clinton cameo in PCU is what got me into into Funkadelic. <laughs> oh, man, we got to pull this up. We got to, we got to, we got to bring it up. George Clinton. <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't heard this in 20 years, probably. And this is like his 90s vibe that's totally, <laughs> totally mainstream hip-hop sound. He had a remix album that just came out before this where Ice Cube has a song, like a Bop Gun remix, it was pretty popular. What'd you say the dude uh, that they call uh, in the diaper? Diaper Gary. Diaper Gary, there's Diaper Gary right there. a Prince song originally. Oh, I don't know that one. Man, for whatever reason, that's making me think. Sorry, quick tangent. Last night I almost watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. Best one. With Vanilla Ice. Maybe. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. It's good. It's a good movie. Uh, yeah, that's. Just, I don't really uh, care too much for comic books and superheroes 
and things of that nature has never been uh like i'll watch those things mm-hmm. but i've never uh been super into it but ninja turtles was was always the jam and uh oh, the video games were so good the oh movie yeah was good. The, games, the comics were good the game's great but if you know the respawn code if you don't know the respawn code that game sucks <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard all those games are uh-huh. there is no just keep continuing I, last summer, I was like, this is the summer I'm going to beat Super Mario 3. Like, that's my goal this <laughs> summer. And I couldn't do it. I only probably played it like 10 times, but I just gave up. It was so freaking hard. You know, you get to level 8, you got like 15 lives. And you, yeah. yeah, this give up the funk jam is on the PCU soundtrack, mm-hmm. too. So. Oh, this is the classic tune. Like, we used to play this at high school dances when I was DJing. So you see George Clinton in PCU, and then you just start going heavy into the music? Or Not what? even, no, no. So that was probably in 10th grade, and then, like, three years went by before that and when I saw him. And this is embarrassing. So this girl I was on and off dating in, in high school and stuff, she was going to Syracuse. I was in Oswego, which is like an hour away. And she calls, uh, before cell phones or before I had a cell phone anyway, and she calls up. It's like, hey, do you know George? who George Clinton is? And I was probably high at the time or whatever. And I was like, the president? And I was like, oh, no, not Bill, not Bill Clinton, George Clinton. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, definitely, absolutely. Sorry, space. Um, she's like, well, I got an uh, extra ticket for George Clinton. And Rozelle opened up um, in the Carrier Dome, which is the worst idea in the world. So you got, like, this loud-ass band in the end zone of the Carrier Dome. There's only, like, 2,000 people there. And, and it's just booming and reverbing and terrible. Uh, the sound was awful. I had a panic attack because the bass was so loud. And then also, like this is this is my big like discovering P funk moment because I only knew this '90s shit. Like not this song. This song's amazing. But like the, you know, Atomic Dog and all that yeah. shit. The like the stuff that Snoop uh, sampled a bunch of. And um, I didn't really know how fucking crazy and eclectic and rock and roll they were. I mean, they came out and there's like, first of all, 20 people on stage probably. The sound guy is going nuts because they're just picking up mics, (laughs) dropping mics, changing mics, feedback everywhere. nightmare. Oh, absolute nightmare. They're smoking uh, weed on stage. There's this guy called uh, Sir Nose Devoid of Funk, I believe his name is, Uh, but like a dancer with like a giant prosthetic nose who's just up on the speakers like doing these crazy acrobatic dance moves it was absolutely wild but i like my young my little college brain like just couldn't handle the awesomeness and i didn't know any of those old songs so i I went home and got on like who knows what ripping service i was using at the time napster or whatever was after that um that i got on my shit on and i found this it was just called live p-funk and it had no track names or anything like that. And so I downloaded that and burned it. And that was in my car for three years. Like just I just wore that out. And that's actually the the one of those same shows that we just watched, seventy four tour. Um and it was just ripping. It was absolutely it was rock and roll, it was funk, it was country at times. There's like seven different voices. Yeah. George is doing different voices. There's you know, uh, horns, cra- it was just so good. Yeah, and I was hooked from there, and then I started buying records. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was impressed with overall. Like just going through this America eats its young <laughs> record is is just the the shifts in vibe and and just uh, <laughs> check this cover out. There's it's the it's a big ass dollar bill, and in the middle there's like some. 
ominous clouds and a Statue of Liberty wearing like a, a uh, American flag muumu of sorts, a dress. She's definitely Satan. Yeah, like, like with vampire eyes. teeth, red eyes. She's got a handful, you know, sorry, uh, trigger warning on this, handful of babies, <laughs> like an armload. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven babies. Seven and she babies. has in her mouth a bite of one of the baby's heads. And the <laughs> that's Miss Lucifer, dude. That is Miss Lucifer. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Nice work, bud. Great, um, killer artwork on there. It's cool. Uh, that I'm glad you have the the vinyl to that we can yeah. see it in in that form. It's pretty rad. It's just so badass. Um, but this record came to me, so I had already had owned probably five or six P Funk records. They got dozens. Um, and my little brother, I got my little brother into P Funk, and then he went even harder in than I did. And burned me. America eats his young. He gave it to me, and he's like, "This is the one," <laughs> and that's how I got a hold of that one. Yeah. So, so to you, is it? And to most, would you just say that like Parliament and Funkadelic is just like this P Funk umbrella? And is there not too much separation to you between the two? Like no, bands? not really. Um, just because it's all led by George. It's all the same dudes. Yeah. For the most part, um, all led by George. Uh, they toured as one band. It was mostly like a record. Like I think, and I'm no huge disclaimer on this episode. I'm not a P Funk scholar or like <laughs> claim to be an expert at all. I just fucking love yeah, their you music. Didn't, you didn't only pick P Funk records when I when I was like, <laughs> hey, hit me with your your top three or three albums you might want to talk about. You 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 only picked this one out of the bunch. Yeah, uh, from no, that, and from I could have picked any of these really. Well, not any of them, but a few of them. So they were. I mean, basically, Funkadelic was in my just my opinion and my view uh they're kind of like answer or not answer but being super influenced by uh lsd Jimi hendrix it's fucking psych rock right yeah oh it's total <laughs> psych rock it's, i mean they were just fucking on acid in the studio <laughs> going nuts like each one of these first four records like Find, uh finding big hats yeah finding big ass <laughs> hats sombreros to wear but um, the first four Funkadelic records all have, like, a 10-minute, like, acid track where it's just, like, you know, people moaning and sounds of, like, footsteps and, like, weird noises and shit. Um, the one on America Eats Is Young is called America Eats Is Young, I believe. Yeah, the title track. Yeah. It's just kind of um, super spacey. And I don't really love these tracks, but there's like, there, you know, this is kind of what they did. And yeah, so, I mean, it it seems like it's, inf- you know, it's. I don't love this track either, but it does have an impact because it's like the things that bother me or like make me uncomfortable about it, you know, are yeah. are doing its jobs. I feel like, you know, like this this heavy breathing that exists throughout the track, and you know sounds like it could be sexual at times sounds like it can be in distress in the beginning yeah and uh i mean this is 1974 so it's very much i think a, a vietnam war record in a lot of ways oh, yeah. because like our country's fucked up our world is fucked up these terrible things are happening how do we respond to that and this track in particular i think is is kind of tapping into that energy of frustration and um you know uh, being unsure Yeah, there's a lot of uh, 
there's some heavy messages in this music Absolutely. which i which i really dig the the delivery of it all and i don't know would you would you say it's as far as like differentiating the the, the sounds between parliament and funkadelic is it maybe somewhat fair to say that that parliament is a little more the candy and the fucking <laughs> the funkadelic is the drugs like yeah no definitely yeah yeah absolutely and and parliament's a little more of the cocaine i okay. think and funkadelic's <laughs> a little more of the acid <laughs> but parliament is like dance music you know it's super funky it's disco-y at times especially in the late 70s it's very much more disco-y um and that's where you know tear the roof off the sucker and that that stuff that's those are on um, parliament records that yeah. kind of thing. This you wouldn't hear this on a Parliament record, you know. And there's some crossover for sure. I forget exactly why he did that. Uh, there's some legal reasons too. I think he was on two different record labels, if I'm not mistaken. But it like makes sense, you know, that there is some uh, separation. I feel like among like amongst the two because. Yeah. I, you know, wouldn't be surprised to find out that that people, a lot of people that get down with the Parliament stuff and are a little bit more on the on the dance cocaine vibe, are maybe not as uh, excited about hearing one of these these no, eight minute tracks not. or yeah. you know like the the shit that goes maybe a little more out and gets gets jammy at times. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, I mean, with the the bunch of records that you that you put out to me you you threw out this captain beefheart record first <laughs> experience really oh, like really? going deep on that as well Jeez. and i nearly picked that album just because i think it's just so fucking weird uh that's actually his most mainstream record <laughs> which is why i like it yeah. <laughs> and then uh you picked that mingus record yeah blues and roots blues and roots mingus is, um, is classic. and then you pick this America eats its young, which is uh, like you said, not not the most well uh, reviewed or acclaimed album from from this group. But yeah. uh, do you feel like there's there's something that there's a triggering point for you along your music journey where you got into the stranger shit, or oh, or yeah. did it did it exist kind of from the beginning in some ways? No, I wouldn't say that. In high school, I wasn't really into much of that stuff. Um, my dad so I, I might have touched on this in one of the one of the dcp episodes but my dad has a, in his basement just you know a thousand records and has kept everything he's ever bought pretty much right um whereas i've only been collecting records like 15 years and i've already sold so much stuff yeah. and gotten rid of stuff he just kept it all so there's wagner in there there's opera there's um ton of big band jazz frank zappa king crimson captain beefheart so I would go down there and just dig through and pick things out that I thought looked interesting and put them on the player. And then, you know, this is like 2000 or 1999 or something. And he had, he could dub CDs from records in his basement. Right. Which is kind of like, Whoa, um, <laughs> pretty next level. For it time. was next level. So he would, and Oh, he made me tapes. I think the, the captain Beefheart was on a tape. Um, and that, so that's how I got into like Mahavishnu orchestra, Frank Zappa, Beefheart, uh, King Crimson, um, a lot of Mingus. He burned me my first Mingus. Uh, that's how I found out about him. And so, like, my dad's more freaky taste from the 70s ended up kind of informing. That's when I started writing tunes was around then, too. Um, and you talked about possible influences. I think those three actually 
are, I mean, gigantic influences me on me. And I don't know that you'd actually hear musically, but just like their willingness to change the vibe, mm-hmm. their willingness to to have an eclectic sound and it be okay. Um, you know, go from like sweet, beautiful music. Like, uh, I mean, there's like two ballads on here. Oh, that's the other thing. So Frank Aaron Quintet is cool and I love it and it's fine. But I really want to start a funkadelic slow jams band because funkadelic and parliament they have they're all like high-powered rock and shit and that's what they play live and that's what people associate with them but on every album pretty much there's like one or two just i call them slow jams but they're just like power ballads yeah um even back to osmium the first parliament record um just incredible i think which one would you say on america eats its young i mean the best one is we hurt too oh man which I was going through the lyrics last night. I'm not a lyric guy. I don't really hear the lyrics. But this song is like about how it's okay for men to be emotional. Yeah, man. <laughs> no, it's it, you know what I thought about a lot when I was listening to this record. This this came out in 1972. Mm-hmm. It's one year after Maggot Brain. Yeah, they made those first four records in like a year and a half. Which is yeah, very wild. Um, but I just kept trying to think about the you know 1972 this is a very progressive forward-thinking record for that time and and now to like see what it's uh you know what its message delivers to even current time is is one of those timeless things and and it's uh it's an unfortunate thing with a lot of it because we're just like with, which is like the same shit of all all this '60s and '70s mm-hmm. like music that's rooted in some some revolutionary shit is that we're still singing about the same shit today. Yeah, and it seems like it's this never-ending circle of things, just uh, different circumstances. But like, yeah, for this to come on and be like, hey, it's okay if a dude cries. We don't have to do this mm-hmm. uh, man the fuck up all the time. Like, give a dude a hug sometimes. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's you don't have to, you know, fit this fucking this mas- masculinity bullshit in every uh, minute, hour, no, of the yeah, day, definitely. or at all. If uh, if that's not your vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and musically, like we've already heard, like four different voices. Here's George. It's got this Broadway quality. Yeah, it. man, that's this record just has so many different feels to it and, and the, the oh. broadway musical shit kind of like tapped in a, a few times when i was listening to this where i just kept thinking yeah. that this felt very theatrical so good it's also like very beatles-esque to me you yeah. know it taps into yeah. that and and that's another thing of like having so many different voices on the record is is similar in that way but also it just really gives it i think like that family band vibe no, because definitely. of that which i really i love and and it makes it you know it just attributes to the no one is bigger than the band kind yeah. of thing and yeah. 
Well, and this this is um, this album is a lot like the White Album actually because I was talking earlier about how it's eclectic. It doesn't really have a through line. No, the, the way that a lot of uh, a lot of their records do. It's it's every song is kind of different. And the you know the White Album was kind of like that. Some of it was recorded in the UK with different folks, and some of it was recorded in Toronto. Um, so there are definitely parallels between the White Album and and this record. But they just make it work somehow, which is the impressive thing. And the, and it's like each each song really like exists on its own, and it's its own trip. Opening track, you hit the nail on the head. Oh man, this is. I love how immediate it is to just get right into the funk. Let's go. Yep. This is this is why it's one of my favorite records to drive to because when you put it in, it just immediately gives you that that firepower. <laughs> and this goes this jam goes on for like what four minutes and then there's this really harsh edit. It's like that's the other thing about this. It's not like super polished at all. <laughs> no, no. There's nothing about it that's polished. Yeah, there there's a I think there's like some pretty clear even moments where there's technical errors on on you know oh, bad bass side. notes and there's stuff. A, yeah. There's a couple drum hits. Uh, I think in I think it might be in if you don't like the effects, don't produce the cause. Yeah, no, it's sloppy. It's sloppy and it's kind of raw. And the bass sound, like, I listened to it on my really nice headphones last night for the first time. Yeah, we'll pull it back up and when it, when it goes to the, um, the midsection. But, um, like, the bass sound is blown out. Like, everything is just <laughs> huge and it's just, everything's cranked. Everything is in the red almost, you know, like, just almost in the red. And that's uh, Bernie Worrell on the organ, and he did all the arrangements, the string arrangements, and a lot of the horn arrangements. Yeah, I think um, the the guitar tone, how it plays off of the organ and mm-hmm. this track specifically, is is just rad. Because he's just this grimy guitar tone. Yeah, that he's going in with. Grimy is definitely one of the words I wrote down last night to describe this track. <laughs> And they just go and go. They're not afraid to, to go out, um, you know, in, the, in their live shows. They they beat things to death. They'll play like the same groove for like six, seven minutes and just make the crowd chant stuff. And if they if they're not chanting, they yell at them. They're like, "Come on, we ain't even got started yet. Let's go." <laughs> um, and you know, don't like saying like, "Don't get impatient. We'll be here all night long." Like we're just grooving our ass off, right? And then and they do. They they're not afraid to just sit on this. this is almost three minutes now the same group i mean there's a it's a it's a party right like you were showing me the video of that concert which i encourage everybody to to check out especially if you're a fan of this band and you you haven't seen that that show 74 just uh just the experience created but this was the shit that I was not expecting when yeah. I dove into this track initially. It's like country. It's like some Grateful Dead. Like ah. it, it shifts into this Grateful Dead vibe here, yeah. and it's so fucking like 
how they pull that off is is so impressive to just Hell jump yeah. into and this they're gonna like, totally different movement. There's only two vocals in this whole tune, and it's gonna pop in and just they just do it once and then they go back. Yeah. And there's it's time here to. <laughs> so good. <laughs> like I, I just to to jump in and out of genres like that, and mm-hmm. to to find a through line somehow to make it work is is just so fucking cool. And again, it's seventy two. Yep, and to yeah, just to be uh, mashing things up like that is is very forward thinking. They did whatever the hell they wanted, man, all the time. This is one of those songs that I would love to hear live, though, just because like you have this jamming, funky part that opens things up and it's very moving, but then you hit like. You hit that first second move, like first part of that second movement, and it's just like this opportunity to let it breathe, and then we're back into this like cocaine shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got like vaguely, you know, a kind of not vague but pretty general like nonviolent message to it. Um, you know, just because you learn to fight, don't make it right, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I just think like messages overall throughout this thing were are pretty like powerful, and I, I I like the that there's a lot of repeating of the lines. It's very like mantra like, and yeah. trying to like push through a message. We'll get into you know a couple of the tracks that are a little more like call to action in yeah. some ways. Well, and you. You talk about repetition, and, and one thing that you get a lot of with them is is that they borrow vocals from different places and lyrics, and, and they put them in multiple tracks. So there's songs on here that are, uh, that are found in, in several other songs on yeah. different records and stuff. So, um, And then when they play live, they just throw it all in the pot. And just making a medley. Yeah. Oh, tons of, tons of medley, tons of singing one song's lyrics over another song and just kind of putting a whole bunch of them in a row, stuff like that. Yeah, I love when there's like pieces of the puzzle like throughout it and there's these references to maybe riffs on a record or something and it just keeps finding its way, showing itself in different ways in different places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it has that, like being a Parliament Funkadelic fan has that kind of Easter egg quality to it I, I barely know that it's because I'm like a level two nerd um, but when when authors put like little like Stephen King does it a lot I think like puts little parts of his other books into like nestles yeah, yeah. them deep in the story and stuff so like real deep fans like understand I don't know that I'm sure that's not what they were trying to do but it's like that you know you'll be listening to a record you haven't heard before and recognize something from from an older record and just enough to like latch on to and so live, you may have never heard, you know, a bunch of these songs from the early 70s, but when they sing them over, you know, the grooves from 78, then everybody can feel like they're a part of it and get exposed to, to other parts of the, the canon. 
No, I appreciate that shit. Just the the different ways to to create those Easter eggs. Like whether it's like in the album art somewhere or within the, the track titles. So speaking of art, man, like if you buying a funkadelic record is musically an excellent idea, but from an artistic perspective, and I forget the name of the dude who did all the artwork for these. Um, but it's basically in, in like 73, 74, they start going to this same artist who does this comic book kind of artwork and like illustrate, I mean, draws each of the band members and it's just psychedelic. There's like, you know, demon, naked demon women. Like it's a Pedro Bell. Pedro Bell. All right. All right. Responsible for numerous funkadelic and George Clinton album covers. Yeah. He's nutty. Um, not all, but oh yeah, like let's take it to the stage. I mean, that's it's just bizarre, man. Yeah, so that's why it's fun to have those. Uh, so much acid. That's why it's fun to have those vinyls. Oh hell yeah! Oh, there's Osmium. You get like a piece of artwork with, with the music. Hardcore Jollies. I could have done this record too. That's my probably my second favorite Parliament record or Funkadelic record. As far as a. Uh, tapping into some of those broadway feels second track on the album spoke to me in that way this bass line So many cool opportunities for like gang vocals too with stuff like this and, oh, absolutely. and the, like just crowd singing along i'd be shocked if they ever played this live yeah to be honest but this is this is definitely one of those tracks too that is one of those call call to action in Absolutely. some way, you know, just I feel like this record was pretty solid at maybe just like sharing perspective, you know, it's just one of those records where you can really experience maybe something outside of your own perspective, like through through the music and through yeah. the, the messages being thrown thrown your way. Well that band for me was Rage Against the Machine. Right. Like that same kind of vibe where if you're into it musically you're gonna be hip to like some social message and and definitely some some call to action yeah i think rage was definitely the first band for me because it just it happened so early like i was still like elementary school and i'm hearing rage against the machine and i think you could i don't know i think i think even at that time i had some sense of like oh this is a a fuck you to some like a big fuck you to someone <laughs> you know like this is uh yeah. it felt like it was because i was into some heavier music at that time and i was definitely even into some punk rock at the time maybe more a little more like on the street punk skater punk level of like operation ivy and, mm. and rancid and stuff but and I loved Metallica when I was pretty young, but the rage shit felt like it was charged 
differently, you know? Oh, uh, and it was, and it was. Yeah. <laughs> and they, well, they had like <clears throat> on their website, there's a whole page of like links to go and um, find out about causes they were rapping about and where to like donate and how to, you know, marches that were going on and stuff. And, They're just talking about like, you know, powerful Americans and uh, how they can stifle change and talk out one side of their mouth while doing something else. You know, it's all like trying to expose hypocrisy and shit like that. And, and it's funky while they're doing it. You can't, you can't lose there. Oh yeah, track three. Everybody's gonna make it this time. This is another like, just juicy. Amazing song. So as far as, you know, you said there aren't like really any big hits on this record or maybe not anything super recognizable, but this track, I would say, seems to be more or less the single on the album. It, it, album. it charted at uh, number 38 on the R&B really? Billboard right. charts. So I could see this, yeah, getting out on the radio. It's gorgeous. It like follows all the rules of of you know love song writing or his voice here reminds me of robert plant in a way but in a smoother more buttery way but just like the way it's delivered and the emotion oh yeah absolutely i mean it definitely lives in a much different space because of the smoothness of, of this dude's voice but i don't know some of the emotion it's it's delivered with at times where he hangs on certain notes. Oh, it's so dramatic. Me. Yeah. It's so dramatic. He's a showman, man. He knows how to like get you hanging on his on his every word. And just yeah, this heavy message of the tune with this beautiful arrangement. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's all about community. And like taking care of each other. It's a ripping guitar solo later. The people, they will make a change. Yeah. And again, just like think about like speaking out against the government in your country in 1972. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's protest music in a lot of ways. The strings, gorgeous you. Yeah. yeah, it's talking about saving our democracy, you know, saving our way of life is, you know, free Americans. Pretty deep shit. But it's always been musical for me. Like I found out some of the lyrics for the first time last night. I've listened to this record like 60 times. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what they're singing about here? I'm just always, you know, humming the, the string arrangements or the bass line. 
you know, the guitar solo and shit like that. For sure. Yeah, no, this was one of the ones that I did uh, some, a deep dive on the lyrics. Oh, nice. What you got? We got to clean so that we can clean our minds, because in order to get it together, we got to get our heads together. Everybody is going to make it this time. Mm-hmm. Our country and our cities, they have been betrayed for money, and somehow the people, they will make a change. There's not a doubt in my mind, if hunger and anger place the blame, there won't be a country left to change. Mm-hmm. Just I mean, those are those are lyrics for right now, you know what I mean? Yep. They're timeless in this country. We got to see what we're doing in the name of comfort. We've got to see, we've got to feel the warning signs. Dang. It's like, yeah. In the past, we got to clean so that we can use our it's, it's all right. It's all right there. That's what I'm saying. It's all been here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, Not the I don't know if people heard this message for the last 50 years. So triumphant. Oh, it's, it's gospel, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's hopeful, it's honest. Yeah, and it's all like very genre bending at the same time, yep. which is, yeah. And late, like late career George Clinton doesn't get enough respect for his voice but he had a beautiful voice beautiful voice unique dramatic like showy Feel, feels feels Hendrixy at times yeah. a lot of this music feels uh, especially some of the more rock and roll solo moments give me those those Hendrix vibes as well yeah and also, it's tough. Like, it's kind of fun to try to figure out. It's just like the Beatles, right? Like, who's singing what? Like, right. is this George? Is this yeah, Eddie? Is yeah. this, you know, Gary? Um, there's 13 people that sing on this record. You know, I mean, Dude, some of those are chorus, but a lot of them are singing lead at different yeah, parts. The liner notes for this record are fucking ridiculous. Too. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many people that played on this thing. Yeah. You got Bootsy Collins. It's crushing yeah. it. Bootsy Collins. Um, is that about up next? We Hurt too. we already listened to uh, Loose Booty. Um, but uh, Bootsy Collins kind of came out on this record. This was the first record that he was Bootsy. Right. Like in that persona on, on this tune, Fillmore, where he's like doing his voice and his shtick and everything. Before that, he was just a slamming bass player. Um, so, I mean, it's, a, it's like a little step out for him, which is pretty cool. Found out that last night. Loose Booty is a jam. It's got like some nursery rhyme vibes. Yeah, speaking of Bootsy Collins, Loose Booty. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all, uh, I mean, it's got a juice harp in it, like, you know, some playing the juice harp like we're in West Virginia or something. And these like variations on nursery rhymes about heroin addiction. Which is something they do a lot of Tales of Kid Funkadelic as well. Like messing with nursery rhymes and like Americana and twisting it, you know? 
showing like the that dark side Alice in Wonderland kind of shit. Yeah, definitely. Um, but at the same time, it's like incredibly funky and approachable, and it's like, you know, they never really dig into things. Like, I mean, this is a, it's not like Wild Side by Lou Reed, right? Where you're like really trying to paint this picture. They'll just be like, this is what we're seeing, but we still funky, and we're still like, you know, yeah. we're gonna be okay, you know, very positive, but still addressing the issues that are going on. Yeah, there's just definitely like a mixed range of emotions through the record, and I like that. You know, there's maybe like a couple, a couple jams with heavy messages, and then maybe you hit like a big instrumental break mm-hmm. of a track, and it's just like, all right, hey, I hit you with some heavy shit. Now just, uh, you know, think about that, but also here's here's something to uh, help you digest it. No, absolutely, absolutely. This wild solo. Yeah, it's Bernie at his best. <laughs> like, what is that sound? He's a genius. He so Bernie Worrell was also responsible for a lot of Talking Heads stuff because he was the keyboard player in Stop Making Sense. Okay. Um, and just a wonderful man, as far as I know, um, and a great player, very eclectic. But he does, this is some far out stuff. They have elements kind of out jazz, right? Because they're not scared to play wrong notes. Right. Whatever whatever feels good. Mm Mm-hmm. Very expressive. Yeah. Took me a... It took me a while to understand like the beauty in those things. Just, yeah, you know, it can be uncomfortable. How can, how can the wrong note be the right note? You know, there are no wrong notes. Not when you're painting pictures, you know, um, and trying to make art. There's no wrong notes. This, yeah, this is very much art music in a lot of ways. think getting Sony the there's a Sonny Chirac record that we did in this this series mm-hmm. early on and that was one of those records that that taught me more about how the, the wrong notes can be the right ones for sure and painting that picture and and just like how important those uh how un- how important the uncomfortable moments are to juxtapose the you know the more beautiful moments on the record and kind of that relief that happens because mm-hmm. of that. And like yeah, tension and release. doesn't yeah. exist without having that tension. So No, 100%. Um, and these records are especially, yeah, America Eats as Young is like that. Fillmore is like that too because Fillmore, this is Bootsy. This oh, is, yeah. This is a standout Bootsy track for me. Right oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I love this one. The vocal delivery has so much energy in, in it. It's so good. Yeah, this is the birth of Bootsy right here. You get like this bluesy soul thing for the first time on the record, I feel like. Yeah. With the horns and 
Yeah, these horn parts here. Cheer, man. This is just like a vaguely sexual jam. <laughs> yeah, this is one for your, your DJ libraries right here. You can play this at any gathering. Like this feels like a, a track that they would, you know, work into the into the set. Yeah, I'd love to hear this. That piano break is so good. Like that trumpet line back there is like the perfect example of what we were just talking about. If I were producing, I would never let that line on a record. Like it doesn't make sense. It's like out of key a couple times. It's like, but it's got a vibe and it adds to this like super loose and chaotic. So Fillmore marks pretty much the halfway mark on yeah. the record. This yeah. is track seven. There are 14 on the album. You got a couple extra 45 versions on the, the Spotify edition that we're listening to right now. Is it, do you know anything about the uh, availability of this album as far as like getting this vinyl is, copies? Oh, yeah. This is a reissue from Four Men With Beards. I would imagine that they're just kind of always reissuing the, the, the P-Funk stuff just because Comes it probably moves yeah, pretty well. It does. Because, you know, partly because of the artwork. This Osmium record... I was looking for, I've been looking for this for 10 years and finally it just got reissued or showed up or whatever. Um, but they, yeah, they, they come and go, but you can find them, especially America Eats is Young. It, this got pressed, I think, like eight years ago or okay. so, so I think it should still be around. As far as back half of the record, what are uh, what are some standout moments oh, here for, for you? Straight off the bat. Uh, pussy, right? I call my baby Pussycat. Okay. Um, That's the track that follows yeah, we more. One second on that if you want. But this is a track that is also on Osmium from 1970. This is something that I first heard on that 74 live concert because it's it's just a line that just shows up okay. all the time. Um, I call my baby P, uh, pussy P-U-S-S-Y, right? That's the other thing about Funkadelic is they're pretty like regularly and dependably like chauvinistic kind of in that 70s free love way. Like they'll, you know... They're definitely dudes singing about, you know, being famous and having sex all the time and shit like that. So yeah. sometimes it's like kind of, you know, in 2021, it's a little cringy or whatever. Um, they're like singing along with some of the shit. But um, it also is, is a place in time kind of thing. I mean, they were like sexual icons. You know, George Clinton's up right. on stage and fucking giant white platform go-go boots and like a teddy, you know, or whatever. And g- like gender bending stuff and really, f- you know, free expression. Um and very, I think, progressive in yeah. so many ways socially. But also you got songs like this that are just, you know, I want to write a song about about sex that's just all cats. I'm going full feline right. uh, metaphor all the way. So, I mean, and this is, uh, this is the time where you... Uh where where groupies were quite a big like movement and there were plenty of people that were 
showing up to uh to concerts oh yeah who, who were like their goal was to to sleep with someone in the band you know and that was that was a uh a rite of passage for them and absolutely uh, yeah absolutely a lot of i mean and that's baked into a lot of their music they uh let's take it to the stage there's a song it's a rocker um this is yeah funkadelic i think the next record they made after Marricades is young maybe um but the, yeah they got you know songs like no head no backstage pass right which is like hella terrible but also just the reality these were parties like their tour was just a freak show um yeah. and so i think you get that art reflects life a lot in in their music because you know they were out on the road they were living wild and so the music reflects it it's like a time capsule for that kind of shit yeah and they also they're they're trying to uh you know they want the they want the freaks to come to the party you know they uh, want like sure. the conservative squares to to be <laughs> the the people making up the guest list for for hanging around and whatnot no they, they definitely <laughs> are down to party this yeah. doesn't uh fall in line with the music Hey, everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Mussels and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, but this song rips. Uh, this is my favorite song on the record. And it's got this like slow bluesy intro and just goes Oh god. Yeah, this is when I get like those Hendrix vibes. Sounds amazing. That heavy breathing infused again in there. Here it comes. It's just like the best entrance. treatment that's on the on the voice there's so much feels like flanger. it's like drowning in water so much flanger on this record man drowning in a lot of wetness yes. 
It's a wet, wet sound for sure. <laughs> Again, like tapping into the bluesy shit right here. Oh, yeah. This makes you make the stank face too, you know? Curls your lip a little bit. That bass is so heavy. <laughs> There it is. Picking the hell out of that thing. And again, like, I don't feel like this dynamic has really been, like, touched upon in this record. No. It's like a new, yeah, a new sound, a new vibe. That's so good. And there's a uh, mean guitar solo coming up, too, from Eddie Hazel. supporting role of uh, the horns there too. That's oh, really good writing. Really good writing. Yeah, this is probably like one of the heavier jam moments on the oh, record. Yeah. yeah, right in the middle of the record. It peaks. And then we go to America Eats This Young on the next track, which is, you know, like, total change again. And I think that's kind of like the genius within the sequencing of the record is, like, that's one of those moments where, like, you have this massive thing happening with, like, Call My Baby Pussycat, and then... Just the way that it kind of hits this brick wall into America's Eats It's Young. It's this very abrupt mm -hmm. ending into this track. Like it's not, yeah, it's not some clean thing that really happens. It's immediate. And it kind of like lets you know that, you know, there's something like real on their minds. And it's just like, all right, hold up, hold up. Got something to say. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to, I know we were, we were having this, this crazy rock and roll time. I got something to say here. We need to we just dial it back a second. Yeah. Just need to breathe for a moment. And it definitely breathes, man. It's, uh, 
Are you looking so, up what else came out so in 1972? Yeah. So whenever I'm doing an older record, especially on on the cast, I always like to see what else came out in the on the in that year. So yeah, you got Exile on Main Street from the Stones and the Rise and Fall of Ziggy from Bowie, Neil Young's Harvest, Close to the Edge from Yes. Eat a peach. Eat a peach. The Almond Brothers, thick as a brick. Jethro Tull. Love this Steely Dan album. Can't buy a thrill. Oh yeah. The Big Star album. Superfly from Curtis. Oh, Transformer. That's another of my favorite records from Lou Reed. Yeah, Superfly. Dang. Chicago Volume One. Meh. I never understood Chicago. T-Rex. There's a few jams that uh, I've been exposed to as of late from uh, oh, okay. from them that have uh, changed my perception of that band. Yeah. Um, there's uh, Let's Stay Together, Al Green. No way. Bill Withers, Still Bill. Damn, just insane. Early Floyd. Still. So, like, I, I like... I can see how this album kind of gets like overlooked in 1972 with the release of maybe this record that's pretty far out and mm-hmm. uh, you know you got all of all this stuff being released around at the same time but if you look at some of these more like for lack of a better term acid rock bands like the Pink Floyd right is Obscured by Clouds came out in 72 that's an early Floyd yeah you know so I think that they're kind of on the the cutting edge of this like, type yeah, like of music. This informs yeah. Dark Side of the Moon, perhaps this this type of shit. Yeah, sure. This is a really cool moment in this song, as far as you know, the one that we both spoke to of not loving on the album. Like this is. Well, you got to be in that the right headspace. I think it's it's better when you're a little buttered. <laughs> extra buttered in fact you know i have so i have uh a few spotify playlists that i've been adding to frequently and one of them i have some genre specific ones and then there's also the buttered and extra buttered playlist (laughs) and definitely uh some of this uh funkadelic made it onto the extra buttered which is it's for those folks that like to get a little weird <laughs> I gotta remember that next so, time. Link is in the episode notes for that. That next Spotify profile. If people want to keep up with those, but uh, yeah, I love that you do those. Those are super cool. The the track after this, biological speculation. Oh, this is a this is also up there for me for favorite track. Great lyrics, great singing. Great lyrics. The vocal delivery itself is really fucking cool family band vibes all day oh yeah yeah this is another one lyrically that is just so fucking good absolutely it's like we're just these insignificant human beings and mother earth right is is gonna do what she's gonna do I love that line. Though I know that order must 
Yeah, this is like one of those tracks that just makes you feel like things are going to be okay. You know? <laughs> like there's a, yeah, there's a lot of relief in this, and yeah, I, lo I love that he's got that line of "I don't mean to come on strong, but I'm concerned," and yeah, yeah, and the laws of nature will come and do her thing. Right, so like, Earth is gonna balance this shit out. Like, we're a horrible, you know, we're, we're we may be doing horrible things. There may be bad shit going on, but um, there's that sense of hope that that it's gonna get righted eventually. Yeah. Um. So I hit my little brother up last night at like one in the morning when I was listening through this in bed and asked him if he had any thoughts because I was trying to get you know just kind of get back into it. You sent him a message at one in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. he on the East Coast? No, no, no. Okay. He lives in San Diego. He lives in San Diego. But um, I wanted to see how how deep you were. Just contacting people at four in the morning, like, "Hey, man, I'm listening to this fucking telecapo." <laughs> Pretty much. He wasn't up. He got he got back to me this morning around six. No, seven fifty-six. Um, but he said, "Here's my best take. Biological speculation is Clinton proving he could be Curtis Mayfield if he wasn't so damn funky." That's very cool. Because it's very much like a Curtis Mayfield song. It's got a message. It's super soulful. But then it's got this, like, hillbilly funk thing going on underneath it. It was, like, slide, pedal steel yeah. guitar <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, they were, they were like, right there. That hit, that probably, if it had horns instead of pedal steel, maybe, or, like, a little more Motown sound to it, that could be a, that could be a hit. Right. You know what I mean? That could, yeah. that could take off. But he's, you know, he's true to his sound and et cetera. Yeah, for sure. We addressed Miss Lucifer earlier when we were talking about the cover of this album, how she represents herself in that Statue of Liberty. I could not help thinking about how much the uh, conservative right and Christians must have just hated this song when it came out for the for the the ones that got put on their radar. Obviously, you don't oh. have like social media at that time to like lead some craze on some record that didn't really enter the zeitgeist so much but yeah this this had to have been the type of shit that just very much angered them this song called miss lucifer's love she's the devil and i like it <laughs> yeah it's about a devil woman right this melody like Feels very Beatles to me again. Just. So, when you're personally making records or you know composing a tune, is this an album that? like you think about sometimes when when you're uh, trying to channel something or just like maybe just one that has unconsciously impacted your your head somewhere along the lines yeah i'd say on that scale it's probably 
that it inspires me to write more than anything else. Not that I pull anything specific from this record, but when I listen to it, it makes me feel creative. It makes me like want to smoke a little weed and just see what happens and know that something simple can be really impactful, right? You don't have to overwrite. The melodies can be slow and they can build on each other and things can be simple and still powerful. I would say. Mm. Well, and you brought up kind of the the reaction maybe. Um, so this record features a quote, a long quote of like a poem of sorts from what's called the Process Church of Final Judgment, which I, like a year ago maybe, I was listening to this and I saw that quote and I was, you know, a little buttered and there's parts of it that like really made sense. It was like, wow, this is like a really interesting take on on America, right? Um, let me find out more about this process. Church, some church. There's like an address. It says write or call for spiritual information and guidance, and it has like an address in there. So George was like, later he claimed that he wasn't really that into the church. That he just like knew the the leader of the church, and they were they were buds and shit, and it was very much like a social thing. But this church was like dragged into the Charles Manson murders. Uh, it was like an offshoot of Scientology that kind of went wrong. Um, they were labeled as Satanists um, and just dragged through the mud. Kind of, they split up. I think in '78, disbanded. Uh, but it's like it's one of those like almost cultish '70s, '80s um, kind of really splintered, uh, like splintered churches. You know, like yeah. Branch Davidians or whatever. They had like some weird fucking views on <laughs> stuff. Um, so like this whole album is kind of based on this poem from this possibly satanistic cultish <laughs> church right which i didn't find out until way the fuck later i had already been listening to this record for like 15 years but i mean i can see how like if you're if you have certain worldviews or whatever you open this up and see like the process church I, I bet it didn't do anything good for the record you know that that it was like a theme record off of some really out there uh religious stuff i mean you know, here and there throughout the record, but the message is still all good. Um, but no, I, I'm surprised it wasn't like they didn't try to ban it or something like that. Maybe they did. I don't know. Just for like promoting that that particular church, and yeah, yeah. that's such a weird thing to have attachment to. Also, for like eternity, there's like <laughs> yeah, people like you is just gonna like tap into it and actually look it up and whatnot. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> There's another one of the records. Uh, another record has a quote. I don't remember which one it is. I might not own it, believe it or not. But like Mingus and, and Funkadelic, I collect. Like when I see a Funkadelic record I don't have, I buy it. Right? I want to have them all. Yeah. Um, same with Mingus. Um, I want to have everything he's ever played on, right? Um, so you know, I've, I've got, got quite like a few. 15 Funkadelic Parliament records here? Uh, yeah, 15, 20. Oh, just 15 or 20. No, maybe No big less. deal. No big deal. No, 14. Oh, no. These two, too. Oh, yeah, whatever. Um, but they're great for all occasions, man. Like, if you're feeling... If you got to clean the house, yeah, it's great music. If you're having a party that you want to get a little wild, it's great music. And also, this is, like, the kind of music that I want in my house, this is going to be really fucked up, but this is the kind of music, there's like things I want to own in my house that when my kid, I'm, you know, I'm about to have a, a baby. 
So when my kid's like a teenager and I'm out of town and he's like snooping through dad's stuff, yeah, you know, he finds something like this you want and him it to like find that funkadelic. opens his mind a little yeah. bit, right? Like maybe he finds dad's stash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly, certainly. <laughs> but you know, some of these comics that are you know around and just no, like that's... great art that is going to change his life a little bit. Yeah, man. I mean, I remember that having that experience with my my dad's music that he collected at that time unfortunately um he got rid of all of his records before i showed any interest in them uh and just kind of just saw the way the future of cds and everything and so i i didn't get to like take advantage of the record collection so much but always had like a huge collection of tapes and cds and that would that's what i would do like when no one was home i would just go through my parents shit you know and like go through the movies that they had and yeah see no, see what they did to man. my 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 young mind at that time <laughs> and you know i'm sure it like shapes it in some way like i remember my dad didn't always listen to anything super far out but a lot of that like Jethro Tull shit was very weird. And my dad loves Jethro he, Tull. My my dad was a huge fan of Jethro Tull, so you know he had shit like that going on. But yeah, it's it's cool to have those things, like you're saying, kind of these physical things to be left out <laughs> for people to maybe stumble upon and see see how they open them up. If I put this on when I was a kid, I'd been like, this is fucking wild. <laughs> Wake up. Final track on the record. Yep. Another one of those call to action. Like, wake the fuck up. We've got a lot of work to do. Please pay attention in some way. Contribute something better to the world so we don't have to uh, have uh, have this shit. And that, that lyric, wake up, see what we're doing in our sleep, I think is is super relevant, right? Like, there's so much we don't pay attention to that's damaging and part of waking up and like kind of getting to that next level of humanity is realizing the problems we cause by just not paying attention That's what I end up singing along to so much with this record is like the little horn lines that are just sprinkled in there and it's just so... Well, he's even singing along with not the horns there, but he's yeah. singing along with the just the rhythm there. Just the, 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 oh, it's like the, three the, different dudes or uh, singers. Just like scatting just almost. Just blows. <laughs> yeah. Live, they use two drummers a lot of times, too. It's pretty wild. Yeah, how many times have you seen the Just people twice. Again? Just twice. Um, that show in Syracuse that I was talking about earlier, and then my little brother and I saw him at the Crystal Ballroom like four years ago. I remember when they came through for that. And, and 
like every time, man, George Clinton is one of those bands where you're like, oh, they gotta be too old now. Like this isn't gonna be fun. Like he's fucking 80 years old. How good could it be? And I've I've missed a couple shows because of that because I had other things going on or I'm like ah oh, I don't know, um, but we went. I'm so glad we went that day. <laughs> he was up. We were gonna go to a Timbers game and then walk to the Crystal afterwards. And we were out walking Ojo, my dog, um, at the golf course near my house earlier in the day, listening to Flying Lotus actually like on on our phone or something, and found like a, a vape pen in the bushes. Like a fresh vape pen in the bushes, so we're like, "All right, we'll save this for later." Took the vape pen to the uh, to the Timbers game. It got nice and buttered at the Timbers game, and then on the way to Clinton, we we finished it off and chucked it before we went in the Crystal because we didn't want to get it taken or whatever. If they were whatever, trying to and, have your second panic attack at a P Funk show. Uh, I came pretty close, but they ripped. They played for three hours, if I remember correctly. They played a bunch of deep, deep cuts, maybe five like songs that I never thought I would hear, hear live. Um, a lot of new stuff, but it was amazing. It was it was great. Um, there's just like f- you know family members like Gary Scheider. I think his kid is in the band. Like a bunch of people's kids are in the band, okay. um, and so it's like multi generational uh, a band, and they they're still they're still rocking. That's nuts. Well. I I feel like I am my my music knowledge is is richer with with <laughs> this uh America eats its young record in my uh you know in my repertoire. It's a good one, man. It's a, <laughs> it's a think piece a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's definitely made me want to uh this is going to be the beginnings of me doing my my funkadelic rabbit hole for sure. Well, I said no we said doubt. it at the outset, but if you want to start, go to YouTube um, and put in, like, Live in 74. There's three different full concerts. Uh, one's black and white. One is the one I showed you. Okay. And it gives you, I mean, like, the music is just the beginning. Because on stage, they're wearing costumes. They're, like, dancing. They're, it's this sense of joy that I've never seen. Never seen live. Even now, they still have it. Um, you go to see like even you know think of the best shows I've ever seen like Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings right they're up there in suits doing like choreographed moves yeah. it's super tight uh, but it's not joyful it is in a certain way this is like familial joy this is you know um, it's free getting in a drunk way and singing too. at Thanksgiving or something like that you know it's like <laughs> what did you say I think it's like very free in a different way oh than, absolutely than what you're talking about with you know the choreographed suits and everything that that can make you feel something as well but yeah, yeah. what you showed me earlier is definitely this uh it's it's just creating an experience like there's there's no one there's there's no way to like recreate what happened in that in that no. room that night you know <laughs> and and to like it's powerful that we can then watch something like that 30 40 years later and for it to have the same effect that it did maybe on the people in the room but there's like yeah you know how it is to like when you show up to a show like that you're seeing things that maybe have never been done before especially mm-hmm. when there's a lot of improvisation and and there is so much like freedom within the performance there's just no replicating that night after night there's no. going to be these little variations that uh-huh. you don't get to see so yeah they don't play the same shit every night either they're very much like a jam band in that sense they go deep they do variations on set lists. And George, actually in that tour, George Clinton rides in from the rafters on a UFO. 
at one point to, to like get to the stage like it's nuts and the backup singer is crawling out of the vagina oh yeah man yeah. fucking it's so wild good. it's so wild good. and lots of you know lots of spiritual imagery and like old like egyptian kind of symbology and stuff that makes the shows just kind of have an otherworldly vibe and i think that's you know it's all lasers and lights these days and they were doing that shit with paper mache and like fucking aluminum bars right, <laughs> you know right. um dragging it around the country so it's it's got just a, a very heartfelt do-it-yourself uh grunge basically almost uh aesthetic to it um it's not polished it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be full of feeling and emotion and pain and hopefulness and joy um that I, that's what it gives me, man. It, when I listen to Funkadelic, when I'm walking down the street, you know, walking the dog and put on some Funkadelic, I skip. You know, it makes me dance a little bit on the sidewalk. It makes me want to, I'm not a religious man, it makes me want to throw my hands up, like <laughs> do the whole like holy roller thing or whatever. Um, because it's just, it's, it has that energy. And sometimes the energy is, is beautiful and somber, but it's always going to make you feel something. And that's, and every record is different. There's a ton of it. Um, just grab one and, and dig in. Preferably in the in the early to mid seventies, is a great place to start. The eighty shit is kind of whack, um, only because the sounds. It's just not my thing. Yeah. But like the any of those early funkadelic or Parliament records, uh, will change your life if you let them. I think. Well, uh, thanks for doing this thing, and thanks for introducing me to to this record. It's always of course fun to to get you on the mics to chat it up if you. Uh, if you enjoyed this this conversation here with with Chris Frank, you can go back and check out some of our our DCP episodes. He's definitely been on a couple times. Talk about the the Frank Irwin Quintet project. Uh, speaking of, I thought it'd be cool if we played it out with your your most recent available single, which is yeah. called New Talons, track that I dig quite a bit. Joe Kai is on this absolutely this yeah. track violinist great musician based out of portland here i think still right oh yeah yeah he lives here wonderful yeah. dude uh he's got a, a bunch of shows coming up a few shows um and it's just he's playing at the newmark i think oh damn maybe next week so i don't know if this will come out before then or not uh with he's opening up for for someone but um he's been really busy on social media and like getting his name out there yeah and he's, he's doing a lot of cool tiktok videos oh, real cool tiktok stuff um calling people out but also just hella entertaining and beautiful player and musician uh and he's got like a kids channel now called hi jokai where he's like trying to do like some kids music that's, and that's awesome really cool. yeah but he so he this track was just missing something um and I I tried to play drums over this part. I tried. To, I was thinking about having some vocals, and then I was like, you know, I should call Joe, and I just put it out to him. I was like, hey, you want to wail over this track? And and it's perfect. So I'm really happy with how it came out. Cool, man. Well, I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can keep up with you. When's this uh, commute record dropping? Mm, uh, Do we have a date yet? It'll probably be the end of March. Okay. So I'm waiting. Look you know, forward. see how the yeah. Look See forward in the go. spring. There's a bunch of music, though, to check out um, on the streaming services. You can also pick up some wax if you uh, if you hit this dude up. Hit the so, Bandcamp page, yeah. Like I said, links will be in the episode notes. Pick up, check out uh, everything that's available from the Frank Irwin Quintet, especially if you, uh, if you dig this uh, 
this funkadelic this this p-funk family stuff i i feel like uh maybe you will enjoy some of this music made by my man here and uh yeah we gotta we gotta get shit together we got we got a hockey game tonight oh we, man we gotta go uh <laughs> we gotta go put some pucks in the net and we do have to put some pucks in that i'm playing center for the first time chris frank at Oof. center for the portland pine Cones tonight for the first time and uh i'm I gonna ta- i gotta tape my stick when we're done here this is gonna come out after so we'll see how it ages but i'll let you know that i'm going for the golden cone tonight are you yeah I've, man, I've never gone into a game saying I'm gonna get the cone tonight. That's bold. Talk about Mark Messier. <laughs> I'm coming for the golden cone. Uh, that's I Dig Records. I don't know what volume it is. Volume 27, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but uh, this is I Dig Records coming at you most every other Wednesdays with uh, some different guest hosts recently. So fun to have. Chris Frank on. Thanks again for doing the thing, man. Thanks for having me on. And uh, we're going to play it out with that Frank Irwin Quintet, New Talons Jam. And uh, that's it, folks. shout out to distro kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast 
can't say thank you enough to DistroKid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that DistroKid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with DistroKid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.